Good morning, and I'm so glad to be with you all again to stand before you and proclaim what thus saith the Lord. So this morning, we're going to be in a whole lot of different places as we talk about the blessing of belonging, why church membership matters. The blessing of belonging, why church membership matters. Dear Lord, we thank you for another opportunity to gather as the church, Lord God, to hear your word proclaimed, Father, to learn of you, to worship you, to encourage one another, to build each other up, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for your church. We thank you for the people who make up your church, Lord Jesus. Father, we invite you this morning to speak to us as only you can, Lord Jesus. Father, would you steady my mind and my heart and my words, Lord God, that I would speak what is glorifying to you and edifying to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I got so many thoughts and emotions this morning (laughs) surrounding this topic. And this is not something that I wrote down, but just as I was coming in church this morning, I thought about this. Church membership matters. My oldest boy is in the sound booth. My daughter also works that sound booth. My youngest boy joined the choir today. Membership matters. They belong. They believe and feel that they are part of something. And that's important to me. So I got lots of thoughts and emotions surrounding this particular topic. Um, But honestly, what even started this whole thing was I had a heated argument, or should I say debate, with the gentleman at the barbershop <laughs> about whether or not church membership matters. And in that conversation, that, that argument, that, that talk, um, he said to me basically this, you can't prove to me from the Bible that you have to be a member of a local church. That's not his exact words, but Something like that. You can't prove to me from the scriptures that you have to be a part of a local body. To which I said, "Uh uh-huh. And he said, "Uh uh-uh. And I said, "Uh uh-huh. And we kept on doing that until we got nowhere. But anyway, so when you're in those moments, um, you have so many thoughts coming to your mind. So I'm throwing out all my best arguments and things that I can think of. I think my main thing was talking about baptism and communion, and how can you do that if you're not a part of a body? So that was kind of one of my main things. But as I thought about this, I believe where the confusion comes in, and I think this is not just for this particular individual, but for many people, is a misunderstanding of the universal church versus the local church. Those are two different things, the universal church versus the local church. So let me start by defining the DNA of both the universal and the local church. From there, we'll dive into the five key biblical reasons why membership in a local church matters. I want to say, first of all, that this is not exhaustive either. There are so many other reasons scripturally outside of what I'm even going to share with you this morning as to why it's important to be a part of a local church. So the universal church is the entire community of true believers in Jesus Christ. No matter their location, time period, church denomination, scriptures like Ephesians 4 verses 4 through 6 emphasize that there's a spiritual unity among all real Christians, all making up one body under Jesus who is the head, as mentioned in Colossians 1:18. This large, encompassing church exists to honor God and be his witness to the world. So that is the universal church. That If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a connection with every believer that is outside of this church. You have a connection with every believer on this planet because you're a part of the universal church. Now, the local church is a specific group of Christians who have been baptized, and regularly gather in a certain place for worship, teaching, and fellowship. The book of Acts, particularly chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, outlines the key activities and purposes 
of these local congregations, such as studying doctrine, such as sharing meals together and praying together. While each local church operates independently, and if you've gone through our new members class, you've heard the term autonomously, same thing. They operate independently. They do not have to answer to one governing body. They answer to Jesus, correct? Um, While each local church operates independently, it's supposed to align its teachings with the Bible, serving as a smaller representation of the universal church. It has its own leaders, like pastors and deacons, who are responsible for guiding the congregation, as described in 1 Timothy 3, chapter Chapter 1, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. A concept that I believe many people struggle with when trying to understand things in the Bible is this idea of both and. Yes, when you become a born-again believer, you become part of the universal church, having connection and fellowship with saints past, present, and future regardless of your theological point of view. That's true. And it's also true that God intended for every believer to live out the instruction of Scripture in a local context, both and. We don't have to get rid of one. It's not that one is more authoritative than the other. It's both. We are a part of a universal church, and we are also commanded and encouraged in Scripture to be a part of a local body. Now, what's funny is this. Every time you get into these debates, conversations, or whatever, your best stuff always comes after you leave. Right? You get home and you're like, yaha! (laughs) I missed it. So this is funny. So I get home and I I text one of my other brothers and I'm like, man, I just thought of the simplest, most profound thing I could have ever said about this whole thing of church membership. I said we wouldn't even have most of the New Testament if the letters weren't written to churches. I was like, why didn't that come up in the moment? What is Paul writing all these letters for? To churches. He wrote four to individuals and the other nine to churches. I was like, "Mm -hmm." dun-dun-dun. Anyway, Some of you may be familiar with a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German Lutheran pastor and theologian who openly opposed the Nazis during his time. He's famously known for two of his books, The Cost of Discipleship and Life Together. I want to share with you a quote from him concerning the church. He says, it is the voice of the church that is heard in singing together. It is not you that sings, it is the church that is singing, and you, as a member of the church, may share in its song. Mm. I just thought that was powerful because it speaks to us being more than just these loosely gathered together people, but we are a part of an organism. We are all worshiping and singing in unison together till it becomes one voice and not multiple voices. Isn't that beautiful? When we hear music, that's what we hear, one unified voice. If you've never committed yourself to a local church and experienced the joy of being deeply connected to other believers, that quote I shared probably won't connect with you. Why? Because American Christianity has taught us that rugged individualism is the way to go. But our faith was always meant to be carried out in community. You cannot carry out much of the instructions of Scripture without being faithful to a local church. Now, let's dive into five reasons why church membership matters. The first is that the church is the body of Christ, according to Scripture. If you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll be looking at verses 12 through 27. And I'm going to read all of those. I know that's a lot of verses and people don't like to hear a lot of reading. However, we are told in scripture that we are to read scripture in public. So I'm going to read a whole lot of public scripture this morning. So I hope that you can bear with me. All right. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 12. 
For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Paul uses the metaphor of the body to beautifully describe the unity and diversity within the church. Just as every organ, limb, and cell has a purpose in the human body, every member in the church serves a vital role. Now, by recognizing and honoring these varied roles, the church functions harmoniously with Christ as its head. The beauty of that scripture is that it points us to the church being something more than an organization. He is talking about physical body parts. The church is living. The church is an organism more than it is an organization. To be part of a church is to be part of the body of Christ and Christ being the head of the church. John Gill's exposition, Gill stresses that the body is not just an assembly of parts, but a cohesive unit where every part is crucial. No member, no matter how small or seemingly insignificant, is without purpose. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. We've done lots here in way of this. We've done gift tests. We've done all of these different exercises in order that we could know as a body what our giftings are. And praise God for that. Because when the body all functions in the gifts that we've been given, then you have a healthy body and you have a body that grows. And as you have seen, our body has started to grow because the Lord has blessed us with a healthy body. We are hearing the word of God proclaimed in truth from before the church. We are following the ordinances of the Lord and baptism and communion. We are sharing life together. We are fellowshipping with one another. We are encouraging one another. We are doing all of these things as a church congregation. As I was thinking about this, I recently thought about my motorcycle accident. And if you've ever been injured to a place where it's hard for you to get around, you realize how hard that is. That was very difficult for me because I'm an active guy. I like to get up and go, and I don't like people to do things for me. My wife struggled with me through that time of God working some stuff out because I don't need no help. It's sometimes my attitude, unfortunately. Yeah, maybe it's a man thing, or maybe it's just a Roman thing. Either way, being down from that accident really was showing me some things about this as I thought about it. Like when this part of my body did not function, Every part of my body did not function properly. I could not walk up on this stage properly. I could not drive a car properly. 
I cannot just walk properly. I scoot it everywhere, correct? Same with this. If this body is not operating in the gifts, talents, and the commands and ordinances that God has given to us, it's not going to function right. It's going to look like this to the world, right? That's when we start to look like that to the world. When they come in and they're like, oh, the music's great, but nobody even said hello to me. Now we look like this. When people come in and instantly are judged by something they're wearing or whatever that may be, right? And we start to look like this because we're lacking love. We need every part of this body functioning properly in order for things to work the way that they should. A detached limb is a dead limb. God wants us to be connected to a local body because it matters. He's telling us that we are all interconnected, meaning that we are interdependent upon one another. I cannot do this walk alone. I've tried it and I failed. Let's be honest. Does the small group of people that you may hang out with really make up a church? The guys that you go out and play pool with, is that really a church? As a group, are you serving others? Are you observing the Lord's Supper, which is a command? Are you observing baptism in your group of friends playing pool? Those are commands. They're not optional. And I've never seen them play out in the middle of the street. I just haven't. I haven't seen these things walked out in a solo manner. It's just not possible. Or are the people that we're hanging out with just people we're hanging out with, talking about God a little bit? And that's something different. A group of people who all share the same passions or sentiments is not a church. If I get together with a whole bunch of dudes that look like me, that talk like me, that do everything like I do, they love all the same things that I love, what's powerful about that? What did Jesus have to do there? Right? And this is what makes cliques within the church so terrible. No one should be excluded within the body of Christ. That's foolishness. There's nothing powerful about me getting together with people who share all the same things as me. Because what's supernatural about the church is that he can pull people from every social strata and put them in the same place and they love each other. When these same people without Jesus would be outside cursing each other and fighting each other. That's supernatural. I don't need supernatural help to go hang out with my homies. I just don't. But the church... It's where I get to experience all of this. Number two, encouragement, accountability, and discipline. These are reasons that it's important to be a part of a local body. Encouragement, accountability, and discipline. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This passage accentuates the significance of communal encouragement. Believers should not forsake the assembling together as it serves as a platform for mutual encouragement, provoking love and good works. Matthew Henry says, gathering together isn't just a tradition, but a crucial act of reinforcing shared beliefs and uplifting each other in faith. By neglecting this, believers risk spiritual isolation. What does the Bible say about the devil? He roams around as a prowling lion, right? Seeking whom he may devour. And I'm paraphrasing that a little bit. What's the easiest way to kill another animal if you're an animal? to catch it by itself, right? If you're not attached 
to a body of believers where you're regularly reinforcing the scriptures and regularly living these things out, you're an easy target. You're just out here all by yourself. It's a war going on. God's told you all through the Bible, put your armor on. Where's your helmet? Where's your shield of faith? Where's your sword? Where's this and all of that? And you're just out here with nothing in the middle of the war, walking over here, your soldiers over there. You're going to get shot. You're safer with the group. You're safer with the platoon. I need you. I need the body. I need this encouragement. And we all do. God knows that we did. That's why he told us this. Why would he say not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some? That's an interesting phrase. Why did he say that? As is the habit of some. Because it is a habit for some people to not want to join in with the rest of the body. But we're called to. We're called to do this together. James 5.16, accountability. Let's talk about accountability. James 5.16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Hmm. Now let's talk about discipline. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Interesting. So I think we've all probably heard this Matthew scripture that talks about church discipline But how can you carry out that discipline if you're not a part of a local church? It's impossible. There's no way that that could happen. If you're just visiting and you're not a member, how can I tell you that these are the things that you're expected to do according to Scripture? You could just say, I I don't care, and just walk off. I have no attachment to you people. I have, there's nothing that you can hold me here with. You know, There's so much, there's so much, there's so much that I can say about this. Underneath a lot of this, and I'm going off script, so work, Jesus. I think at the bottom of a lot of this is church hurt a lot of times. The opposition to joining in, to being a part of something, I think a lot of times stems from some past church hurt, to be honest. And I'm a person who has experienced church hurt myself. And even to this day, there are certain things that I still bristle at within the walls of the church because at some point I was hurt by someone. But the people that hurt you are not Jesus. The people that hurt you are not the church. They may be believers and part of the universal church, but that is not the church. And we cannot throw the church away because of the sinful people that gather in it. Because guess what? Everybody that's in here is here because you at some point realized that you were broken and that you were a hot mess and that you had no way to save or fix yourself. And so you said, I probably should go and be a part of a church, a part of something, someone that can help me to walk this out. How can they learn without a teacher? All right. When it talks about binding and loosing in verse 18. Binding and loosing were rabbinic terms indicating authoritative teaching, deciding what's permitted and what is forbidden according to the law. And Jesus is extending this authority to his disciples. How could this be done in the universal church? If this authority was given to individuals, and not to the church, 
I would like you to try something for me. Would you be willing to try something for me? When you leave here today, I want you to walk up to a random person on the street. And I want you to ask them if they're a Christian. And if they say yes, I would like you to proceed with binding and loosing things in their lives. Meaning just start telling them all the things they can and can't do. And when they ask you if you're crazy, I want you to tell them that you have the keys to the kingdom. And Jesus has given you authority to tell them what to do. And report back to me next week with how that turned out for you. You know that's going to go all bad, right? Please don't do that. And then call me talking about, I did what you said. I was trying to be obedient. Be obedient to the scriptures, not me. All right? So, anyway, Jesus gave those keys to his church. To his church. It's to be carried out through his church. That authority was given to his church. And we know that church is, of course, more than a building. We are the bricks making that building up. On a serious note, how could church discipline even be carried out if not in the context of the local church? It's impossible to discipline someone who has no connection. Before I married my wife, I really had no right to expect her to obey anything I said. She still won't obey, (laughs) but at least now that I put a ring on it, she'll at least listen to me. (laughs) I have a little authority. Um, but as I'm, as I'm thinking about this, I can't help but think about how the church has encouraged me through the years, how the church has held me personally accountable through the years. I even think back to COVID and how scary that was for me and, and all of the pain and the fear that I experienced after that. After you get so sick, sometimes it's difficult for you to come out of that with the same mind frame. And I did not have the same mind frame. There was a lot of, and we know that the scripture says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Yes, his Holy Spirit lives in me, but I sinned. I was fearful. I was fearful after, after COVID. And it was very difficult for me to even want to come and re-engage with the body of Christ. But I was encouraged all along the way by various members of this church through texts, through calls, through sitting down with Pastor Chad to him sending me stuff, encouraging me. And and then even more than that, thinking about my interdependentness to this body as I was resisting coming back and being among God's people, I realized that I'm robbing God's people of the giftings that he's put inside of me. If I was to stay away this body wouldn't function the same. Not that I make the body do something more than it should, but I'm important to it. You're important to it. You're important to it. The kids are important to it. We all are. And who am I to rob God of the glory of him using the gifts through me? He gives gifts to us to use through us. Any gift that you have sitting in this room is not for you and for your personal uh, pleasure or benefit or any of that. I, to be honest with you, half the time I have to do this, I don't want to do this. And it's not because I don't love the word of God. This is hard. But the power of the spirit, the encouragement of other believers, when I walk off this platform and somebody comes and says, hey, you've blessed me. When somebody says, that thing that you said changed me in some way. It's all worth it. Everything that we have, everything that we are, is his for the using. We are simply stewards of everything, our time, talent, and treasure. It all belongs to him. All right, three, growth and maturity. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, growth and maturity. This is another reason why church membership matters. Ephesians 4, 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we 
may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul emphasizes spiritual maturity, pointing out that maturity prevents us from being deceived by false doctrine. The roles of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers are designed to equip the saints for their work of ministry, leading to unified growth. And the only way that this can be carried out is through the context of the local church. There aren't a bunch of loose pastors and deacons walking around the streets that I can just come and just have church in the middle of the parking lot. There has to be a context in which to experience these things, to live these things out. And God designed the church to be that vehicle, to be that context in which his love is carried out through the world. Whether that's through missions, whether that's through evangelism, whatever it is, the church is the hub. He said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Think about that. The gates of hell cannot prevail against his church. Ain't nothing going to stop us, Highland Crest, (laughs) but us. (laughs) And we can't even stop us because God's going to do what he's going to do regardless of us. And I thank him for that. One commentator says a key aspect is stability in faith. The collective wisdom and teaching of the church help guide believers on their spiritual journey, preventing deviations due to misleading Doctrines. I have so much to say about misleading doctrines, and I'll get to that. But Colossians 2, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, growth. Let's talk about growth quick. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul is emphasizing the continuous nature of Christian growth. Just as one receives Christ by faith, the believer's daily walk should be characterized by that same faith. Being rooted in Christ suggests a deep, nourishing connection, while built up indicates ongoing growth and development. The teaching of the church serves as the foundation for this growth, and gratitude becomes the natural response of those grounded in their faith. There's a friend of ours, still a friend of of mine, that was caught up in what I would call a cult. Um, It was the, I don't name and names, it was the International Churches of Christ that he was a part of. And he started to come around us. We kind of met him through the ministry that we would do uh, out at the parks and all of this stuff years ago where we would set up and do our, our little music ministry and things and, and, and spread the gospel in the parks. And we connected with that brother through that because he loved music too. And so he invited us to come to an event at his church. And before that event ever happened, we were consistently talking to him about some of the beliefs of that particular uh, cult, uh, denomination, whatever you want to call it, uh, we were telling him what was right from the scriptures. But if I had not been a part of the church, if I had not learned these things from sitting in Bible studies with men for hours and hours, if I had not spent the time with the people of God to know the truth, spent time in his word to know the truth, we would not have had a leg to stand on to tell this brother that he was being misleaded by false doctrine. They, were, they believed that the baptism itself was in some way saving you. And we're like, no, brother, that is not the truth. And we walked through scripture and we, we did all that we could. And guess what? He walked away from that. But we never would have been able to do that if we didn't know what it was that is the right way to do it. 
Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for men who have stood in this pulpit and preached truth that I've taken home with me and taken back out into the world. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you. Serving and giving. Serving and giving. 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Every believer is endowed with spiritual gifts. Not for personal gain, but for communal edification. Again, you are gifted, Christian. If you have accepted, if you have received Jesus Christ and you're sitting here today, you have a gift. You may be a pinky toe, but you still have a gift. You may be a little pinky finger, but you still have a gift. And we need to use those gifts for the building up of the body. It's not for us. It's not for... I don't do this so that I look good and feel good about myself. This, this doesn't do that for me. I do this because it's a gifting that God has given me. And as much as I might fight it sometimes even, I still am drawn and pulled by the Holy Spirit to walk in the giftedness. And I know the same goes for Chad too. This ain't easy. For Jim, this wasn't easy all these years standing here doing this. I know but he kept going because he was not going to rob this church of the gift that God had put inside of him. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Spiritual gifts are not just individual blessings, but tools for collective edification. When used rightly within the church, they amplify God's grace and mercy. Serving, Galatians 6, 9, and 10. This is still about serving. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially those who are of the household of Especially those who are of the household. How do we know who's in the household of faith? Without a local church. I don't. I don't know what you're committed to. If you haven't committed your lives to another group, it doesn't have to be this one. But if your life isn't committed to another group of believers, like, I don't know. Paul encourages believers not to become weary or disheartened in doing good. The promise of a future harvest as motivation. This also emphasizes the broader scope of generosity. It should extend to all, but with a special focus on fellow believers, reflecting the unity and mutual care within the body of Christ. Giving, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Generosity, of course, isn't just about the amount, but the heart's attitude in giving. As I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but think of our recent outreach to St. John's Park. That just kind of came together because the body was in place and the body was healthy. The church was at the ready. We put that together in about a week. And from what I hear, from, yes, the folks at the park are still talking about it. The folks at the park are saying that that was the best outreach that they had. <laughs> And that wasn't because of me. That wasn't because of anything but this body operating the way that it's supposed to. Because somebody came with the food. 
And somebody ordered that food. And somebody got the cooler. And somebody went and prayed for somebody. And my man sat there and cut hair. And somebody else did this. And somebody else, oh my goodness, it's beautiful. It's glorious when you see the body being the body. And when the world sees the body being the body, they are drawn like a moth to a flame. Because what they are experiencing in their daily lives does not look like that. It does not look like freely giving of your time and your talent. It looks like selfishness. That's what daily life looks like in our world. It looks like get what you can get and forget everybody else. So when we operate as the body and we step outside of ourselves and we give beyond what we're even able to sometimes, God is faithful and he is a rewarder of those things that we do, even though sometimes we do grow weary in our well-doing because it doesn't happen fast enough for us. It doesn't happen fast enough for me sometimes. But my God is faithful, and he is going to finish what he started. And I thank him for that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the body. Thank you for people operating in their giftedness to bless somebody else. It fills my heart with such joy to see that. Last, strengthened faith through communion. Strengthened faith through communion. And this is actually a double entendre or double meaning, as they say. Because I'm talking about communion and communion. Acts 2 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, listen, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In order to number something, you need to have a list. Is that list a membership role? Maybe. But you you can't number something without having something to number. In verse 46, it says, attending the temple together. Now, if any time in Christian history, we were going to think that we all could be these little individual floating bodies of holiness right, would be the time of Acts because the Spirit was being poured out powerfully. I mean, Peter's preaching in the middle of the street and people are getting saved and everybody's sharing their stuff. That seemed like the perfect time to just be loosely, hey, I'm just a Christian and I ain't connected to nothing. But it said no. During that time, they attended the temple together. Mm. That sounds like a church to me. That sounds like a local body of believers that are connected, interconnected, and working towards a common goal. The early church provides a blueprint for communal worship, learning, and fellowship. Through regular engagement and apostolic teaching, breaking of bread, and prayer, they forged a strong bond of unity and spiritual growth. One commentator said, the devotedness of the early church serves as a benchmark for contemporary congregations. Their unwavering commitment to fellowship and shared beliefs led to exponential growth and favor. Amen. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. Now we're talking communion, literally. The bread and the blood. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul sheds light on the profound significance of the Lord's suffer, Supper, every time believers partake in communion, they are not just remembering Christ's sacrificial death, but are also proclaiming it. It is an act of worship, 
reflection, and evangelism. Furthermore, the phrase, until he comes, reminds believers of the future hope and the anticipated return of Christ. So communion is big, isn't it? Often we don't really think of it like that, but communion in itself is speaking to a dying world as we proclaim what Jesus Christ has done for us when we drink of his blood and we eat of his flesh, not literally, of course. We all should know that by now. However, there's so much in that, and it's not very common that a group of friends gathered together are going to take communion. I mean, you could, but how typical is that? Isn't the church the vehicle in which that's carried out? Isn't that the place where that makes the most sense? I remember as we're thinking, as we're thinking about giving and serving, I remember a time when my family, it was probably pretty early in our time, uh, being a part of Highland Crest, and we had bought, I had bought a vehicle um, from a friend of mine in Chicago, and it was pretty discounted price. It was a, uh, a, a Ford Expedition. It was white. It was pretty nice. It was a good-looking, clean car. He had kept it in the shop himself. He had sent it to some shop and had some work done, and he couldn't afford to finish whatever the work was, so he said, hey, man, if you come down here and pay the rest of, to the mechanic. You can take the car. I'll, I'll give you the car. And I'm like, oh, we need a car. We really needed a car at that time. So I go get the vehicle. It ran good for a little while. We enjoyed it. Um, but then eventually it broke down, as all rusty vehicles do. And if anybody's a Ford fan, fix or repair daily has been my experience for sure. I've owned multiple Fords, and most of them have stood by that model. However, <laughs> when, that, when that truck died, I don't know what context it was in within church, but my wife and I were in church, and maybe at some point we just put out there that we needed a new vehicle, that, that something happened to our car. And without any provocation from me or anyone else, and I will not put those people on the spot who did this, but a couple in this church took us down to a car lot just from hearing that. Just from hearing that we had a need. And they took us down to a car lot and bought us a minivan. You can't tell me that church membership does not matter. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. I've never experienced that type of love in the street. Not without strings attached. Anytime I've experienced that type of love outside of the church, they wanted something back. But this gift was given to me freely, without any expectation. Just as Jesus gives us the free gift of eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. So in closing, we heard how the church is the body of Christ and Christ is the head of his church. We've heard that we need church so that we can be encouraged, that we can be held accountable, that we can be disciplined. We've heard that being a part of a local church leads to growth and maturity. We've, we've heard that being a part of a local church involves serving and giving. And we've also heard that being a part of a local church strengthens our faith through community, communion with one another, and through communion doing the Lord's ordinances. I will say this to you. If you are someone here today who is wrestling with joining into a body of believers, I will tell you, wrestle no longer. The scriptures have commanded you to be a part of a local church. It didn't tell you you had to be a part of this one, though we'd love to have you. But you need to get your life rooted and connected somewhere. Of all of the conversations that I have with my friends and associates and acquaintances out in the street, the barbershop's the fishing hole, just like we like to call it. That's where we like to fish. But 
all of these conversations that I have, and people want to know, like, what's kept you? What's, what, what's kept you being a part of a church? What's, what, what drives you to continue walking with Jesus? What, what does... Of course, it's the Holy Spirit of God living in me. But the church, the church is where I get all of my nourishment outside of my personal devotions and things like that. The church is where I experience true fellowship. The church is where my pain is shared with other believers. The church is where I can call on my brothers and sisters and I know that I can count on them. I got so many stories. I could sit here going on and on about just what I've personally experienced in this church. But I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to encourage you today. If you're not connected, you're missing out. If you have not devoted your life to a body of believers, you are missing out. I've heard this before. This is not original to me. But a preacher, I believe it might have been Paul Washer, he said... How can you say that you love me and you hate my wife? If you hate my wife, we can't be friends. This is Christ's bride. How can you hate his wife and say that you love him? You can't. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the body. Thank you for the love that is shared amongst the believers here at Highland Crest Baptist Church and shared amongst the universal church throughout this country, throughout this world, Lord Jesus. Every believer, everyone who has placed their faith and trust in you is connected. And we are worshiping you together this morning, Lord God. We thank you that we have a building that we can come to, that we still have the freedoms to openly worship you and to gather together and to build one another up, to go out into this world and to reach others through the vehicle of the church. We thank you, Jesus, that you have provided for that for us. You have provided a way for us to be whole, to be solid, to be cared for. That's found in your church. And we thank you, Jesus. Amen.